Hi, this is Dana Gould, and you're listening to the Walter Paisley Movie House. I stay here whenever he lets me. Welcome to the Walter Paisley Movie House, where we celebrate the little engines that could not. I am your host, Dylan Rorig, and our music is by Jonathan Harmon. We are brought to you in part by our partner sponsor, Scarlet Lane Brewing. With five locations in the Indianapolis area, there are plenty of opportunities to try the official beer of horror. We're back today with part two of my conversation with Eddie Deason. We go all sorts of places in this talk, talking about some of his favorite directors to work with, a lot of the character actors he's been able to work with in the past, including the late, great Dick Miller. Hope you enjoy. Well, um, you brought him up, so we got to get there. Dick Miller. Uh, Dick Miller, I love. Obviously, I'm a fan. (laughs) And he was in Mob Boss, too, you know. He he writes in the book. Yeah, yeah, Dick Miller's the greatest. Yeah, I love him. Love him. Yeah. Um, he did, what, what, about 300 movies? I, at least. Um, his resume I, is never stopped. You go to I, IMDb, you know, and look at his resume. You're scrolling for like 10 minutes. Yeah. Like 300 different projects he was on. And seven where he played Walter Paisley. Um, and yeah. I and I, and when you did Hollywood Boulevard 2 as Walter, obviously you're, you're being cast as his character, Walter Paisley, mm-hmm. from Hollywood yeah. Boulevard. Uh, mm-hmm. Which makes you an honorary Walter Paisley, as far as I'm concerned. Oh, um, but uh, he, it's just such an iconic guy. Um, yeah, and yeah. He never so stopped much. working, did he? He no. must have just literally gone from job to job. I guess what is it? Every everybody knew, every casting agent knew him. Yeah, casting director knew him. And he just went job to job, job. He never, like everybody, you know, you do a movie or something, you get a couple weeks off mm-hmm. or something. But he didn't. He just went from job this job to the next. There's a fantastic documentary about him called That Guy Dick Miller that yeah. is just great and it talks oh about all of that um yeah. you know he and his wife them. laney just were uh together for decades and mm-hmm. um she was his did biggest he just recently, cheerleader did he just recently uh, he, died, he died a few years ago yeah okay yeah yeah, yeah. um but, I remember but from he flew me up in a, in a helicopter in mob boss i saw yeah. him again yeah and he, he was just oh same sweet guy same great guy oh, so much great. fun to work with great sense of humor yeah, that's I love awesome. Dick. Yeah. Awesome. So uh, we just we talked a little bit about 1941. So obviously you're mm-hmm. you're starting to get roles in pretty major films. Now, granted, this one was not a, a critic's favorite, but it made its right. money back and then some. Right. Um, you know, it was a box office hit. Um, right. And it's not a it's not a superior comedy, but it's got some great moments. And yeah, I agree. You, know, you and you and Murray in the. um and the and the Ferris wheel are some of the highlights. I Just love Murray. Murray had a, Murray was like a four pack a day smoker, and Stephen had an oxygen tank for him. So we were we put us up on the Ferris wheel, but like every hour or so, or every two hours, he'd let us down, and Murray would come and have to get a hit from his oxygen. Tank. Wow, he'd, it's kind of like late life for us, Carlisle. Yeah, we were, yeah, we were way up there. You know, the Ferris mm-hmm. wheel was way high, and he literally couldn't breathe up there if we were up too wow. low. So he was literally down to get his breath. Oh. He That's was just awful. the greatest guy, the greatest comic partner. And he said to me, he goes, I, I was in doubt about you at first when I first saw you. I didn't know what to make of you. He said, but you're, he just gave me the most beautiful compliment. He said, you're a real pro and you're really funny. And he just was the nicest guy. And of course, you know, I love Jaws. is one of my favorite movies. I love Murray yeah. so much. And He's I miss such him a so scumbag much. in that. And he plays it so well. Yeah, yeah, he does. <laughs> with that jacket, marmy jacket. Yeah, he's great. Anyway, my big story is. There was a, a scene where, you know, where the Ferris was rolling off the pier in that Is movie. this the toilet story? This is the toilet <laughs> movie. Uh, by the way, I, let me back up to Greece. 
This is trivia about me. It's the true story. I threw up in three of my first four movies. I'm probably the only actor. I threw up in three of my first four movies. Let me just backtrack real quick. Okay. Greece, my last day on Greece, we were filming the carnival scene. Oh, uh-huh. And uh and Randall Kleiser and Alan Clark came up to me and they said, Eddie, we want to get a shot of you on the whirling thing, that twirling thing. It's a machine where you stand up and they twirl you around real fast. Yeah. Yeah. Now I, they said we want to get a shot of you. And I get I have terrible motion sickness. That's one thing about me. One of my bad things is I get terrible motion sickness on spinny things. So anyway, I, I argue with them, please don't make me do that. I don't want to do it. They said, please come on, we want you to do it. I said, but I can't I get sick. They go, just would just do it, be quick. So finally I can see what am I gonna say? You know, it's right. my first film and I have to see. So I put in, they strapped me in. So they twirled us around for like a minute. And I got off. I was, you know, my legs are wobbly. I was woozy. I got off. I went out, opened this, op- this open field. I was all alone. And I heaved up. I threw up. This is August 2nd, 1977, my last day on Greece. And I threw up in the middle of the open field. I went up to the, my dressing room. I cleaned up. I think I took a shower and I went home. That was my last day on Greece. But I threw up. Now, my last thing I want to hold your hand. December 21st, 1977, Bob Zemeckis gave us celebratory cigars. We were all celebrating because we, we finished this movie. I want to hold your hand. Bob mm-hmm. gave us cigar. It was the first cigar I ever smoked. What he didn't tell me is you don't inhale don't cigars. Inhale. <laughs> so I got it. I inhaled the whole thing. I got, this is cool, man. These are great. I inhaled the whole thing. I went to the bathroom and heaved up my guts. I threw up again. I threw up from my first cigar. Then my fourth film, 1941. The day Steven spin us, spun us around, I asked, mm-hmm. stop, please. Steven, stop. I said, please, I feel sick. Steven said, go to my dressing room and lie down. So Steven's, I remember she was a beautiful girl. She was lovely. She took me to Steven's dressing room with a little cot in there. So I laid down in his cot trying to, you know, trying to fall asleep. But I couldn't. So I started, was, I went on my hands and knees like a dog. I crawled to the dress, to his dress, to his toilet. And I threw up in Steven Spielberg's toilet. And it <laughs> dawned on me, I just threw up in Steven Spielberg's toilet. I, I dawned on me the historical significance of it. <laughs> <laughs> I threw up. So I literally threw up in three of my first films. Laser Blast is the only one of my first four films that I didn't throw up in. Which which was a bigger moment for you, throwing up in his toilet or using the restroom next to Mickey Rooney? Uh, oh, yeah, that's right. I did, <laughs> right. That, you know, that's good. Because using the restroom with Mickey Rooney was a good moment because I was happy and I felt good. Remember, when I threw up, I was miserable. You're miserable, yeah. If, yeah. Yeah, later you look back on it with significance, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but it was cool at the time. It was, wasn't cool at the time. I was just sick. And I probably passed out in the bed. I was so nauseous, you know. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> so first, right, later on, first did, three movies made you physically ill. That's that's great. Made me, <laughs> made me ill enough to throw up. But Mickey Rooney, yeah, I did a signing show with him. This is like 40 years later. And he had these little shorts on. And they were plaid shorts. And I did four shows with Mickey. And I would, mm-hmm. you know, I went with him. And I, I went in the bathroom. He was friendly twice. And he was mean twice. Yeah. But Tracy was really nice. I said, hi, Mr. Rooney, da, da, da. And it's like a courtesy because we're both signers. Mickey Rooney is, of course, 20 times the star I ever was, you know, right. 100 times. He's like a legend. But I shook hands, you know, Mr. Rooney, I love your stuff. And he was, oh, hi, da, da. And I looked at those nice, and I saw that gleam in his eyes, that beautiful gleam in his eyes, which every one of us has, every human being, you can see it, and you can see this beautiful person. And Mickey had the gleam. But two other times, he was this mean old curmudgeon. Like, get away from me. I don't want, yeah, yeah. Darn. He's like this curmudgeon. So I was two and two for Mickey Rooney. But once I went to the bathroom and I saw there was Saul there, and these plaid shorts are there around his ankles. And I realized that's Mickey Rooney doing a number two in this thing. So I urinated and I go, I'm going to the bathroom next to Mickey Rooney. That was like another historic moment. So I was happy at that. My son has a similar story. It was, he was next to George Romero. He was very okay. proud of that. 
Yeah, I had, it's funny you said, Dylan, my, one of my earliest Hollywood moments was I would go in my earliest days, this is before I ever worked, and I'd go to Universal Commissary, and Universal Commissary was open to people, anybody could go there. Yeah, yeah. So I would go there and just hang out and see if I could see any stars, and I went to the bathroom, and who comes in? Richard Thomas, we were talking about the Waltons. Yeah. John Boy, which is ironic, his name is John Boy, get it? But I didn't even think of that, but I'm there, and I'm taking a, you know, a number one, I'm doing, taking a leak, and Richard Simmons is taking a leak right next to me. I go, oh my God, I saw Tom, John Boy take a piss, you know. Yeah. This is before he'd ever done anything. And he was very nice. I think he like nodded and acknowledged me. He seemed uh, like a very friendly, nice guy. Yeah. It's it's always awkward at the urinals. So Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, you did you did a few movies where like nineteen forty one, where it's just these it's just star studded. Um yeah, you know, absolutely. and nineteen forty one, of course, Christopher, Christopher Lee. Lee. You worked with him I, a couple I did of times. Three films I did three, with Christopher. Three times. Three okay. films I did with him. I love Christopher. Total gentleman. You know, he plays this creepy, gnarly character in the movie. He was a British perfect gentleman in yeah. real life. Yeah. I can't even do an impression, but he was the sweetest, nicest guy ever. I absolutely loved him in every way. I loved him as a as a person, as a human being. I loved him, but I love working with him. He was, the, of course, we all know he was a consummate professional. He was great. He's one of those guys. He's a, you know, he's such a legend, but he's yeah. also controversial. It just depends on who you talk to about him. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there's, I mean, there's some stories great... that he wasn't a nice guy. Uh, yeah. I mean, you, oh, I didn't you know that. Just, just not so much that he wasn't nice, just um, that. You, if you if you wanted to hear a lot about Christopher Lee, just stand next to Christopher Lee, kind of things. So interesting. Okay, I didn't know that. Okay, but um, I guess like it's, it's like Jerry one, Lewis. Jerry yeah. Lewis, here's you know some he's a prince and some he's the most horrible creep. Yeah. Know, so it yeah, depended if which one like it that. was. You know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but in that one, you know, you had um, aside from Christopher Lee, Robert Stack, Treat Williams, Nancy yeah. Allen again. Yes, um, Robert I mean, Stack would call my so many good people. I won't say the f word because it's a horrible word; it's an epithet. But he called my dummy an f. He called it the f word. So, <laughs> hi Eddie, how's your how's your f pal? He'd say that every day. You know, this was God. a different time, and he was old sure, school. You sure. know, he'd never say that nowadays. But he'd say that in those days. He'd call my dummy an f. Yeah, <laughs> God. Um, what did you have any? Uh, did you interact at all with Elijah Cook Jr.? No, I didn't. No, okay. he, I, I remember seeing him around. I never. I think the last day where the household, the, the whole cast is there. It was like a party. And yeah. We saw everybody there, and I. This is the guy from the Maltese Falcon. You know, oh my God, this is yeah. the guy from the Maltese Falcon is there. But I never talked to him. I should have. I should have just said hi. Yeah. How much I love the Maltese Falcon. It's so good. Well, he it's, did what? He did. He's another did like a hundred movies, right? Uh, easily, yeah. Always, easily. Did. and he always played I mean, like this Weasley creepy guy. Yeah. He always played like a weasel. That's uh. Oh, hang on. There's there's my phone. I'm sorry. Oh no worries. Hey guys, taking a brief pause while Eddie answers his phone to pay his phone bill. Uh, While we're here, don't forget, check out Scarlet Lane Brewery in Indianapolis at five locations. Everything you need from the official beer of horror can be yours. And now let's get back to the show. Um, Well, I got to ask about Menlo Schwartz. Uh, Okay, uh, for sure. Schwarzer, Don't get it wrong. Yeah, Schwarzer, Schwarzer, yeah. <laughs> Schwarzer, excuse me. One of my uh, favorites. I love Surf 2. So much fun. It's such yeah. a quirky film. Surf 2, yes. there's no Surf 1. I believe yeah. it's it's sometimes billed as Surf 2, the trilogy concludes. Exactly <laughs> right. It was actually, title. Dylan, in the, when it originally came out, it was actually in the Guinness Book of World Records. They said the only movie ever made that was a 2 that was never a, a that was a sequel that was never an original <laughs> one. Yeah. <laughs> 
it's such a fun little quirky film another one yeah. with just lots of great little character actors lyle wagner yeah. terry kaiser yes. who, I mean, wow, terry I kaiser's love, amazing love. yeah terry kaiser was great everybody was wonderful i love yeah. guys. linda i love ron Polio was a dear friend i love ron oh. Yeah, uh, Law Wagner was the greatest guy. He told me, which I didn't know, he was, you know, up for Batman. He said he was this close to being Batman. Yes. They yes. was right down to it, and then something made him turn to Adam West. I forget. He told me, but I forget. But I'd never been, known that. I would have been so interesting with him. He would have, yeah. He could have played had such it great just comic as straight. Sense. Yeah. Well, remember when we watched Batman as a kid? We took it very seriously. It wasn't sure. But you look at it now; it's very tongue in cheek. Yeah. They played yeah. it. And Adam West is very droll. He has a dry, very funny. Living. And I met Adam West years ago. I, I sat in the Batmobile and I talked to him. He's the funniest guy. He's just. Yeah. Like, he has a very droll sense of humor. It's very dry, but he's hilarious. Yeah. It's, that was that was one of my earliest childhood traumas was the Batman movie, the Batman 66 movie. Do you remember that? Oh, it had all the supervillains. Yes. The scene where they go in and dehydrate the UN. Right. I, I saw it on like it a Sunday afternoon yeah. movie. I was probably six or seven. Right. It absolutely terrified me. Because they turned him into dust. Because they turned him into dust. I didn't oh, know yeah, what was yeah. happening, and I was just yeah. terrified. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That show, there's never the kids today don't know and understand how big Batman was. Oh, Batman huge. was like Beatles. Yeah. It was that for that one year, it was the rage. Everything yeah. was Batman. We, me and my friends, would watch it. It was like a religious experience. Mm -hmm. We'd gather around the TV and watch this, and we'd we'd take in every word. Yeah. yeah. Did you read? Did you read Burt Ward's book? I didn't read Burt's, but I read Adam's book. Okay. After the Bat Cave. That was Bert, a great read. Burt Ward's is just, it's kind of like if if Kenneth Anger wrote it or Scotty Bowers. It's just all the trash and all the is dirt. Is that right? It's a lot of fun. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Adam's <laughs> is a very sweet book. It's a, it's a fun read. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I and Terry Kaiser, uh, what what was he like to work with? Great guy, wonderful guy, the nicest guy. Um, Carol Wayne, I love Carol Wayne was a little out of it by then. Yeah. He would go around the second one. E.T. phone home. E.T. phone home. She looked, So oh. I think she was on drugs or spaced out. Now, she had somebody who was bad news. She was with a lady who was like her guardian or her agent or manager mm -hmm. or whatever. But that lady was bad news. Again. She was probably giving her drugs. Oh. I think that was Carol's last film. But she was she was very sweet if you could get through to her. But she was yeah. she was kind of zoned out. Yeah. Ruth Buzzy was the nicest. I love Ruth. She was that was nice. a Delta Pi or, or no, I'm sorry. I'm thinking of Ruth Gordon. Yeah. Ruth Buzzy. Um, Cleavon Little. I, Cleveland Little was so the great. We amazing. watched yeah, Stevie and I just watched Blazing Saddles a couple days ago. He's so good. So Cleveland Little was the nicest guy. He was just a great guy. Yeah. Randall Badad, I loved as a director. It was just glorious experience. Wonderful. Yeah. The scene where we're on the beach, I don't know if you know the last Andrew. I had that long hat, you know, and I yeah. hit her with the hat. That uh -huh. was my hat. I brought it into the set and they just <laughs> let me use it. Yeah, but that was my hat. I used to wear it as a gag. Yeah. It was a, a one of the things about that movie that I think is is so much fun is that it takes the the disgruntled nerd character the guy who's picked on and kind of makes you evil i mean yeah. it, it, I was it makes you like more of a mad scientist yeah. which yeah. is just yeah. great yeah yeah linda i don't linda did she ever work again after i never heard from her after that linda movie? She was so beautiful yeah uh you know i don't know um, yeah i've got i've got imdb up here um I mean, Fade to Black, she was in, which is a fantastic film. Fade to Black's a famous movie. Yeah. It's so good. Uh -huh. uh, she did a few films after that. Alien from L.A., you know, okay. who doesn't? Yeah, she was is... here. She wasn't a comedian at all. She's like, she plays it totally straight. Yeah. I mean, she just had a straight demeanor. Yeah, Alien from L.A. was her last film, and that is mm -hmm. a classic cult film, actually. Okay. 
Um, and then Delta Pi, you worked with one of my absolute favorites, Ruth Gordon. Yeah, um, Ruth Gordon. Here's the story with her. She was really old at that time. She mm -hmm. was very elderly. By the way, super nice lady, really yeah. nice. But I couldn't understand what she was saying. She would have oh, to, really? I could only understand like 50%. She'd go, and then I'm taking my bread. And Eddie, I would, I just could not understand her. So, you know, we'd run through the scenes and on. Mm -hmm. I, I realized just wait till she stops talking and just give the reply. Just let her say. Sometimes I'd understand. She was like, it was hit and miss. Mm -hmm. A lot of times I absolutely had no idea what we were saying. And I just say my line back. Like so many times that like one of probably my favorite film, Harold and Maude. Uh, oh, yeah. You I know, love her, her diction in that is so refined and impeccable. Yeah. And then as she yeah. aged, I'm sure, you know, with it gets slurred. Yeah, and I, things, yeah it's she, happened started... she was she was what in her 80s, probably. With that. Oh, easily. Yeah. Because she was, was in her was 70s that... when she was doing yeah. Harold and Maude. Yeah. And, and Laura Branigan, was that her only film? I don't know if it was her only film, but okay. it was I definitely love she was super nice. Yeah. Great. Yeah, she was super nice. That and again, you know, another one just filled with just great little character actors all through it. Yeah. Uh, Tom Wright, Rom Roman Estevez. Um, there's so many Tentala Ray. Um mm -hmm. Just some great. You're an encyclopedia. You are an encyclopedia of cult films, aren't you? Can see it. I, I just of love cult films and cult <laughs> film actors. Yeah, you know way more than me. I know a lot of them, but you know, you you're out of my league. Well, this is why I can't do math. I mm -hmm. I pushed all that out of my head to remember stupid trivia like this. So mm, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um. So when you're working in a lot of films like this, um. When did the voice work start for you? Because, I mean, voice, that is... Yeah, no, that's a great question. Much. I, it, this is where it got in my head. That's a great question. Because I was doing the film called War Games, which is one of my better mm -hmm. films. It's a great movie. Uh, I did my scene. Mm -hmm. And I uh, my director was Marty Bress, who was later fired. and was taken over by John Bader. Yep. But I did the only Marty Bress scene. Marty did 20 days, 20 days of shooting like 20 different films, John Batten, and then they released them. The studio didn't like his scenes. So they released mm -hmm. them. John Batten looked over his scenes. He looked at my scene. He said, we'll keep that. Mine is the only scene directed by Marty Bestimo. It's the only one that wow. John Batten wanted to keep. So I lucked out. But anyway, um, what was your question? I'm sorry. I lost oh, it. oh, that's okay. Just when you sure. transitioned, started to do more voice yeah. work. No, there is a great answer to that. It's a specific answer. Anyway, I kept screwing up my line. I didn't mm -hmm. have a lot of lines to work in, but I worked with Maury Chaikin, who's wonderful. I'm sure you yeah, know all about so him. Yeah, so he's great. We did my I kept screwing up the words data encryption algorithm. Data endocrine algorithm, cut. Data <laughs> algorithm algorithm, cut. Data endocrine algorithm, cut. I, I did every different way possible. Yeah. And I kept screwing up and screwing up and screwing up for the longest time. So Marty Bress crooks his finger and says, come here, Eddie, we're going to go for a little walk. He puts his arm around my shoulder. We walked around. This, this, we were out on location. He walked me mm -hmm. around. He took me outside. I guess he didn't want to say this for anybody. He goes, look, you're costing the studio a lot of money. And, you know, I felt bad enough. Sure. Because we're going to get you some idiot cards. And he, he had the accent on idiot. He goes, we're going to get you some <laughs> idiot cards. I think he was a little pissed off at me, you know, <laughs> and you're going to do the scene. So they wrote the, my scene down in that card. And, you know, data encryption algorithm. It was easy to read it. Mm -hmm. And I did the scene in one take. Bang. And I go, this is cool, cue cards, idiot cards. And that's put the germ in my mind about doing voiceovers. Voiceovers, yeah. you just get to sit there and read your lines. There's no memorization. Right. Memorization was always my hardest part of acting. Some actors, you know, Desi Arnaz, Jackie mm -hmm. Gleason, those of them, they, they could pick up a whole script, go through it one time, and they remember the whole script. Bang. Mm -hmm. Shemp was that way. Yeah. Shemp would, you know, every line, everybody's line. Whereas Curly was a bad study. Curly would ad lib and you'd forget his lines. Mm -hmm. But Shemp could remember a whole script. I just, I was always a bad study. I could never remember lines. 
And it gets worse as you get older, too. Oh, sure. War games, yeah. I, wasn't that old. I was only like 26 when I did War Games. So I did that, and I thought that. Then later on, I remember, and I started doing some voiceovers here and there after that. And I remember, I always remember War Games, how easy it was. Then, like, about 1990, after I did Mob Boss, I kind of said, you know, I'd like to do this full time. And I signed with ICM to do it to the voiceover agency. Mm-hmm. And I kind of drifted into voiceovers full time. And then I got Polar Express. Polar Express is like a combination voiceovers yeah, and motion live action. capture. Yeah, yeah. it is us moving. It's just us morphed into kids, but all the kids mm-hmm. are us. We did it like it's like motion capture is like us and the kids combined. Mm-hmm. But it's like us moving. We acted out the whole film, but I do read the whole thing. Bob Zemeckis got me the whole thing on cue cards. So I read my whole thing off cue cards. Mm-hmm. Then the last day of shooting, Tom Hanks came up and he goes, What are you, fucking Marlon Brando? You need yeah. fucking cue cards. He was kidding. You know, Tom always he's, he's not the least bit mean, but he goes, You sure. fucking Brando. Why the fuck do you need cue cards? You know, but he waited till the last day to say that. He was probably wondering, What the fuck? Why does the guy need cue cards? Because, you know, for him, it's easy. Yeah, I really I needed the cue cards, and Bob knew that. Well, that's great that they're accommodating about that stuff. Yeah, that's... Zemeckis is the best. Zemeckis yeah. is the best director. For my money, he's the best director. He's the Babe Ruth of directors. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Whereas Stephen is just the tick below. What can you say? <laughs> you know, you, you say Stephen Spielberg is great. It's like saying Babe Ruth is a great baseball player. It's like you know Marilyn Monroe was beautiful. It's, it's something mm-hmm. everybody knows, and we all know. Stephen is raised director. But I think comedy wasn't his thing. Whereas Bob can do comedy yeah. for a whole. Stephen will have comedy moments in his films. Always mm-hmm. will have funny. You know, when when Drew Barrymore sees ET and screams, and Great right, you know, that's funny. Yeah, but he his films are rather serious with comedy mm-hmm. moments. Whereas Bob can do a straight comedy. That's that's the difference. Yeah, I do pretty much straight comedies. And so when you're doing the voice work, um, when you're finding character for that. Um, and a character actor like you who who can find, you know, it, it's more than just being broad for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, you and people who watch your movies can see that you're you're finding little things that you can run with with these characters mm-hmm. and voice work without being able to physicalize a lot of that. What's that like trying to to bring that out for a character? Well, OK, first of all, it's easier. Movies, you know, you're up with movies because of the trip you're on. You got to, you know, shave down the whisker. Every whisker's got to go in shave. You get made up. But by the way, mm-hmm. I like that. One of my favorite parts of movie making is this is the feminine side of it, but I love going to makeup, having a beautiful girl make you up <clears throat> and you kibitz with her and chat and you get made up. I like being made up, tapping and get all this my stuff. My girlfriend's in, a movie right. makeup artist, so yeah, she'll, I be, love she'll be happy my, to hear that. <laughs> yeah, that was one of my favorite parts of movies. I love to get in and get made up. It's fun. I don't know if all guys are like that, but I liked it. But anyway, Voiceovers, you don't have to worry about any of that. You can come with your hair messed up. You come up with mm-hmm. dirty clothes and blue jeans. A movie, you want to look rather good, you know. It's just yeah. a more cultured thing. They want to see your physical appearance. Voiceover, it doesn't matter how you look. That's the point. You can have right. zits and you can do a voiceover. Right. Movies, they'll cover them up. And then you don't have to memorize lines. Movies, you know, let's rehearse the scene. Let's run through it. You screw it up. Take two, take three, take four. Right. Voiceovers usually just pretty much nail. You just read through. The only way they want a new scene is if they want you to act a different way, not because you made a mistake. Voiceovers, it's pretty easy because you just read the lines. But you can occasionally flub a line, they'll do it over, and I like that because everybody right. flubs lines. And there's no pressure with voiceovers. It just, you're you're pretty much all together. Nowadays, I think, since I haven't done them in a while, nowadays mm-hmm. I think everybody does them at home. But I think I for the most them, part they do, yeah. Yeah, pretty much everybody has a studio and you do them at home. But we would all go together as a group. You know, we'd get there and there's like eight or ten guys in a room. And you all do your thing and you mm-hmm. do your voiceover again. And you kind of play off each other. Now, there were shows like I did Kim Possible, a cartoon mm-hmm. like Kim Possible. I'd always do that one alone. I yeah. did Dexter's Laboratory cartoon and we'd always do it as a full cast. Oh, that's Colette great. Sunder. Yeah, Colette Sunder was my favorite director of voiceover. She's marvelous. And we'd do that. 
directors and we'd all do it together. I did it with mm-hmm. Chris Cavanaugh. And then sadly, Chris passed away and yeah. she was replaced by another girl <clears throat> who was wonderful. I can't think of her name, but she was wonderful too. At Kim Possible, we do alone, just like they do it now. So mm-hmm. yeah, and it's just easier. And voiceover, you knock over in like an hour and a half. A movie, yeah. you know, you're on it for the whole day. They have you for eight or nine hours. No voiceover is more than like two hours. It's sure. always done pretty quick. That it's it's a, such an interesting uh, career. I think um, a lot of my favorite actors are voiceover actors. People, Tom yeah, Kenny and um, yeah. John DiMaggio and those guys. Yeah. Um, and you can see you drift it. into it when you're when you get older. You know, you everybody. Yeah. You know, we all lose our looks later, but they can mm-hmm. still do the voiceover. Like you know, Boris Karloff doing the Grinch, Stole Christmas. You know that yeah. stuff. Yeah. You can anybody can do a voiceover. Vincent Price did some great ones. You yes. Know? Yeah, Vincent Price did Thriller, right? Yeah, yeah, Thriller. Um, yeah, there's tons of great. My favorite Vincent Price voiceover was the Invisible Man at the end of Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. Oh yeah, I, I love that. I love that. <laughs> By the way, that was my favorite Abbott and Costello movie when I was a kid. I, love I think that. it's mine too. Hands yeah, down. yeah. It's I so think good. nowadays I kind of like Buck Private since because Buck Private's Buck Private's like is so fun. fresh and new. I love that. That's yeah, um, but I, I love that movie when I was a kid. Right cross, left jab, Tommy. Yeah, right cross, left jab. <laughs> great movie. We talked, uh, Fred Olin Ray, your friend Fred Olin Ray. Oh, I um, love one of the the best pure comedy director I've ever worked. Fred is so funny, so, so wonderful. He's one of my favorite directors of all time. Just yeah, I he, love Mob He's Boss. a job yeah, director. Bo- he will do whatever comes his way. Yeah, I wish I could work. I mean, you know, one of the greatest things I'd love to do is work for him again. But Mob Boss is one of my favorites. Mm-hmm. Work with Morgan Fairchild. Morgan Fairchild was a doll. Just, yeah. just the sweetest, nicest girl. I loved her. She, you guys, you guys got to rehearse your scene together. We I rehearsed remember. our big scene. Yeah, it was a scene, <laughs> the, nerd, the classic nerd scene where the nerd kisses the beautiful girl. And, you know, his face away. Then he turns to the camera and his, his glasses are steamed up, you know, right. <laughs> we're doing that scene. So I do it. Morgan goes, words I, I couldn't imagine, couldn't believe they were godsend. She goes, Eddie, do you want to rehearse? So I do my Oliver Hardy looked at the camera. You know, are you serious? So, yeah, so Put Morgan, your tie. let's go at it. We kissed several times. She held me my head to the left. I had the right straight on kiss, you know, mm-hmm. she pulled my head back and gave me a big kiss, you know, and I'll tell you, she's a great kisser. Her lips are soft. She's a wonderful kisser. <laughs> my other great Morgan Fairchild story is we were on the set one day. Morgan is she like she's a star. You know, Morgan is yeah. a genuine star, whereas I'm Eddie Deason. So I'd eat with the cast every day. We'd eat at our tables, you know, together. Morgan would eat in her dressing room. Most mm-hmm. celebrities and stars eat alone in their dressing room. They usually sure. don't mix with the cast. So Morgan's in her dressing room every day. Then one day she comes, like, Eddie, do you want to have lunch with me? You know, so I'm thinking, I'm a guy. And I'm thinking, yeah. okay, she's coming on. This is summer of 42, you know. I'm going to have, Morgan Fairchild and I are going to have an affair. I literally, that's what goes through a guy's head. So anyway, I was nervous all day and I knocked on her door and our lunches are there. So we sat at lunch and she said, like, she told me her whole life story. We sat and talked and she told me her wow. whole life story. It was very sweet. She was an extra in Bonnie and Clyde. She told me, she said, you can see me in one little scene. And she told me really? what it was like growing up in Texas. She told me how Morgan, uh, Warren Beatty hit on her. She was 16. She was scared. And, you know, all these stories. She was, she was just a lovely girl. And I also see her at signing shows. Yeah. She's just a totally lovely, beautiful person. That was another movie filled with, and this is another reason I love Fred. He will fill his movies with just great character actors. Yeah, Mike William Mazurki. Hickey, like Mike Mazurki. Mike Mazurki's last movie. Yeah, I did. I did this. I didn't memorize. This was my big last moment without cue cards. Is mm-hmm. if you watch uh, Mob Boss, I have a big speech at the end. It's a big yeah. speech. Yeah, this is like. You know, Spencer Tracy at Judgment at Nuremberg. It's my big series. <laughs> so I did the whole speech. I read it off. We 
cut it for the day. So the next day I go and, you know, we're getting our breakfast. Mike Mazurk, I was terrified of him because this yeah. is Mike Mazurk. Yeah. We've all seen him. And he's like about eight foot tall, this big, he, you know, he was older than you, but he's still this big guy. Yeah. Trapping guy. And I was scared. I kind of dodged him on the set. I was dodging around because I didn't want to run into him. I was too scared to talk to him. But he comes up to me on the set. He goes, that was a good speech you made, kid. You did good yesterday. He said in that Mike Mazurki voice, <laughs> I'm about to have a conniption. That's I go, fantastic. Thank you, Mr. Mazurki. I said something, you know, but I couldn't believe he said it. So he actually talked to me and that was his last film. Wow. Yeah, that was. <sighs> this guy had worked him, with the Rat Pack. He worked with Frank Sinatra, Dean Martin. He's, he's been in every Some Like It Hot. Had. He was with, yeah. you, know, you know. Some Like It Hot, exactly. Yeah. He knew Meryl. <laughs> he probably had so many great stories. Bra yeah. <clears throat> but I'd see imagined. him at breakfast every day. You go, hey, honey, you got any juice? We said that at breakfast. Hey, honey, you got any juice? You like juice for breakfast. Well, I, other people in that movie, William Hickey, who is you think he was great. We just saw, amazing. It's funny. Well, okay, Dylan, we just saw him yesterday in The Producers. He has a little yeah. cameo. He's in the jury. Yeah. And and Stevie goes, that's your uncle in that. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's William Hickey. Yeah. So we just saw him yesterday. He's such a funny guy. Funny actor. Yeah. He taught he acting a wonderful for nice years. Guy. Yeah. I think he yeah. taught such up until nice he died. Man. Yeah. Yeah, he was a um, nice, nice man. Yeah, very nice guy. Um, <laughs> it's another, of course, it's Fred Olin Ray, Brink Stevens, uh, Dick Miller. Yeah, Brink Stevens know, is my Facebook friend now. Yeah, she's delightful. I'm hoping mm -hmm. to get her on here sometime. You got to um, get Brink. She's lovely. You got to get her on. She, she just got on. through with the press junket, so she's a little worn out. So I'm going to try okay. and uh, catch her please, before another I'm one. I'm sure she'll come on your show and please give her my love. Tell her I, I will. Hi. I will. Yeah. Um, Deborah Lamb, have you had on the show? No, I would okay. love to. She's another one I love. Yeah. But we're all three of us are Facebook friends. I love okay. them both. Get them both on your show. I'm sure they have so many great stories for you. I, I know they will. I Fred alone, the stories he told, I could yeah. have him back and talk another three hours with him. And yeah. just have him tell yeah. you know, stories about the Carradines <laughs> and uh, yeah. Lee Van Cleef. He had great stories about Lee Van Cleef. And it was just, you know, okay. just a thought. Um, you worked with him four times? I believe three or four. Yeah. Three yeah, or four. You, Always a pleasure. Yeah. You did one of going, his, but um, he's brilliant. He's a brilliant director at what he does. He's yeah. he would be like my third favorite director. I think really down the list. There's nobody yeah. better as far as just comedy. He, he understands what's funny and that's a rare quality. Mm -hmm. Like Stevie and I just did this low budget film, just a low budget film for a friend the other day. And Stevie and I were throwing these funny ideas and he, he was like 50. Is this the, are we allowed to talk ways. about this one? I'm sorry. Are we allowed to talk about this one? Sure. It's, of interest it's called to me. Plan. It's called Plan Ten. Or Stevie yeah. said it should be called Plan Nine and a Half, which is funny. That's plan funny. Nine and a half is funny. Yeah. He must call it Plan Ten. And I said, "Don't you see Plan Nine and a Half is funny? Plan Ten isn't." Right. He said, "We're going to call it Plan Ten the next trilogy or something. Call it Plan Nine and a Half. It's a lot funnier." But he's going to do that. And we throw funny ideas at him. And he was like fifty, but he'd accept some, but others mm -hmm. he didn't accept. So, but anyway, Fred has a great sense of humor. He understands mm -hmm. what he is. I, I I love him as a friend. And I love him as a comedy director. He actually, um, he actually commissioned a script from Ed Wood. Oh, um, did he? And when he first got into Hollywood, and I'm I'm an Ed Wood fanatic, so mm -hmm. uh, it was it was cool talking to him. He's the only person I've talked to who actually met him. And uh, oh, is that and, right? What did he say? To, I didn't know that. I just you know it was later in Ed Wood's life. He was an alcoholic uh -huh. and and would just take work as he could get it. Um, it was he had kind of a sad ending, but okay. um, did you, you know, like the Johnny Depp film? I did. Yeah. Okay. I mean, there were, there were, um, 
the the book that it's based on nightmares of ecstasy is a fantastic book um mm-hmm. i thought the movie did a good job i thought uh, i don't feel like they treated dolores fuller well and it they mm-hmm. kind of made her come across a little uh mean-spirited and she really mm-hmm. wasn't that way um right. but um yeah no i i i did enjoy it it's a good film i own it okay. i watch it at least once a year so yeah i like it okay okay <laughs> but um yeah he you know he got to talk tell me about you know just what a, a he was a, a kind of a meek nice guy at that point um mm-hmm. was happy to have work mm-hmm. um but you know he was he was deep in the throes of alcoholism at that point too so okay. gotcha. uh, a little sad mm-hmm. um but <laughs> yeah uh what i actually reached out to fred um and and ask him if he had anything to say about you and he you know he was very honest he said and this is another thing i love about fred he's completely honest he said you know i i all my stuff with eddie's pretty personal but i'll say he's a great talent and a good friend so um yeah you know that he really he really likes and respects you oh i love him so much Yeah. yeah Well, I have to ask you about a movie that I know was not a favorite of yours, but um, because I had Mark Pirro here, uh, mm-hmm. I wanted to talk to you about A Polish Vampire in Burbank. Which you know was... who loves that film, by the way? A friend of mine, a friend of Stevie, Stan Livingston, the guy from My Three Sons. You yeah, know, he yeah. My Three Sons. He loves that movie. Does he? <laughs> now, I'll be fair. I'll be honest. I only saw it one time. This is like 40 years ago. Maybe I should revisit it. Maybe I'd like it better. It's, I mean, it, if you're into mov- the, the kind of movies I am, it's great. You know, uh-huh. I, I, part of what I like about movies like that is the process because making uh-huh. movies is difficult right. and making a movie that you're shooting on super eight. And you know, at that point it was unheard of, mm-hmm. um, you know, to make a major feature on super eight. So right. here we go. Mark Bro, <laughs> just the show. I have no regrets. Mark Bro is a Facebook friend. So yeah. Yeah. I don't hold it against me. He, I've I mean, he, signing shows. he had, he had nothing but nice things to say about you. He said, you yeah. know, yeah, we butted heads during the filming, but we've become friends since. So, yeah. I yeah. got into trouble because I think it was non-union. There was some kind of union, non-union thing. And I got in trouble yeah. with the union. That's one of the reasons I had bad feelings about it. Yeah. But you know, yeah. that's all water under the bridge now. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, it was an interesting film just in that it, at such a low budget, um, then USA mm-hmm. bought the rights, yeah, to, to license it, and it made yeah, back it was it was probably what so probably much fifty thousand. What was the budget like fifty thousand dollars? I don't even think it was that. Yeah, I mean it yeah. was it was, it was ridiculously like small. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but it made back you know tenfold just mm-hmm. for TV rights. So yeah, um, and it, it was it's another one of those kind of legendary films just for that. Yeah, the um, title too. The title is yeah. funny. See, that's a funny title. <laughs> it is. That's a funny title. You get an intrigue. And Stevie and I were saying, call it Plan Nine and a Half, something like that. That would mm-hmm. intrigue me. But if you call it Plan Ten, people will, it loses the joke. You don't know that it's Plan Nine from Outer Space. If yeah. you just call a movie Plan Ten, the, the joke is gone. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And so are they? Uh, are they taking an iconic horror actor and replacing him with a chiropractor? In this <laughs> really I, i'm not sure how they're doing it but it's, it's kind of like polish vampire i'd say if i compare it with them it's probably like polish vampire in burbank it'll probably be something like that but the difference is we have everybody's on the internet now he can yeah. put it on youtube you know yeah. put it on facebook and you know i'm not saying they will but potentially right. thousands or millions of people can see it whereas in the old days i would do these b movies and they just run and that was it you know that was mm-hmm. pretty much it they might have yeah they had usa this was, this was the other days even a cable tv was the 70s yeah. you know usa and there were a couple other stations like your your but, movies show up a lot on uh, like usa yeah. up all night um, yeah exactly you know, those, now they'll those turn shows up. Those, they can all be dug those. up yeah yeah they can all be dug up 
I and actually, in the other, you know, before that, yeah. It was I a feel like story. there's so much noise with the internet now, it's hard for gyms like that to be noticed. Um, That's interesting. You're right. It's kind of a catch 22. You're right. There's so you're right. In other words, we started out with three channels and mm -hmm. one low. Everybody had three channels and one low. Now you have 500. There's no middle ground. It's like, it's either too little or way too much. Yeah, you're right. There's so much coming at you now. And it and with the internet, I think it's kind of made those things disposable where um, and I've talked about this a lot. Um, You know, when I was a kid growing up in southern Indiana, it was difficult to see a Herschel Gordon Lewis movie. So I had to hunt and find and and get a VHS on a, a, you know, like a mail order trade network with other weirdos. Uh, We'd swap VHS tapes and watch those. And it meant something then. Whereas right. now I could just go on YouTube and watch a clip of 2000 Maniacs and go, oh, I get it, and be done yeah. with it. Um, right. And, I and see. It, it what I think it's interesting to use the word disposable. You know what's the most disposable thing I've ever seen, Dylan, that's as far as movie wise, mm-hmm. is the Christmas movies now. Every like polar stress we did, it was always on my bucket list. This is one of my dreams I achieved. Like, I always want to do a Christmas movie. Mm-hmm. And we did Polar Express. And, and I think it's a very beautiful, great film. And it stands mm-hmm. a test, it'll stand a test of time. But watch every Christmas. Film. They'll have like 18 Christmas films on the network. Every, and everyone's the same. The guy and the girl will meet in the department store. He doesn't love her at first. And that's the most they there must have been so many Christmas movies made for cable. Whereas before, you know, we we had, you know, the Grinch was great. Yep. Bob Hope had a Christmas film. I know that that one I used to watch every year and there were a few Christmas films but there are like hundreds and hundreds of Christmas films now that are just thrown away every year watch this year there will be like 20 Christmas films that are just like toilet paper and you throw them away and at least one of them will be by Fred Olin Ray yeah really because he's he's doing so many that's the you second time right. he was... that's a good point in fact I'm a hypocrite I'm a hypocrite because all I, I want for Christmas for I was gonna I, yeah I did all I want for <laughs> Christmas so I did one for Fred you're right I just noticed that it's just something I noticed when I was in the hospital you know, we would watch mm-hmm. TV and it, we, there were so many different Christmas films on. Yeah. And they was, you know, a handsome guy, a Robert Hayes type guy and a pretty girl, you know, and they, mm-hmm. you know, hijinks exist and they have a Christmas movie. Yeah. He, uh, he wrote, he wrote a book, how to, how to make the perfect Christmas TV movie. And I actually oh, really? had him on here to promote it. Yeah. Um, well, I hope I'm in his next year. That would be great. He's very open about, you know, he goes, I know I'm making the same movie over and over. Yeah, but, really? You know, and he said he said a producer uh, one time came up to him and said, Fred, I know that you feel like you're just making the same thing, but if you mess with the formula, it doesn't work. That's and and okay. he's, he's right, you know, and it is. They yeah. are what they are. Yeah, um, yeah I was going to ask about like, all I want for Christmas because it kind of fell in. It, it fit in with that conversation I was having with them. No, in other words, you're saying they were movie pot boilers. That's pretty much what it pretty is. Pretty much, yeah. 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 <laughs> But nobody better than that than Fred. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, we don't have to talk about it if you don't want to, but mm-hmm. you brought it up. Um, I know you've had some struggles. I've had my own, and I'm willing to share those. Um, sure. It's uh, I I've uh, I'll go ahead and open up. I I don't talk about this. I've never talked about this before on the podcast, but um, I talked about the fact that I did lose my wife of 24 years to cancer in 2019. I'm um, so sorry. And thank you. I did not handle it well. Um, so by the beginning of 2020, uh, I was in a locked psychiatric facility for a few days. Um, I checked myself in. Um, I, I had enough, um, I think, uh, wherewithal left to realize I needed help or I wasn't going to make it. Um, so I did. I checked myself in. This is just as the pandemic was hitting. Um, so as soon as I was in, I was terrified I was going to get quarantined there. <laughs> 
<laughs> be stuck for months. Right. Um, but I was able to to do the work and and be released um, under my own recognizance and and continue with therapy from that point on. Um, but but I understand th- the struggle with mental yes. health. Yeah. And uh, if well, that's something you want was... to talk about. Sure. I'm, I'm very open. I found, like I said, I talked to my friends in the hospital when I was in there because mm-hmm. I had a lot of friends. I've always been very blessed that way. But I said, well, my friends understand. And he put it in a nutshell. He goes, your real friends will always understand. He goes, the people that won't understand were never your real friends in the first place, which is how it is. And I found, I'd say literally, honestly, I'd say 98% of my old friends have come back. I've had yeah. a few bad moments, you know, of, you know, they said the wrong thing or something, but 98% of my friends are still there. I explained what happened. Mine was not so much <clears throat> that I had the mental thing. Mine was my heart condition started at all. At the end of 2019, I had, I was starting to feel really weird. I was getting vertigo and feeling really weird. In fact, there's a picture I should post on Facebook. There's a picture of me hugging a girl. I was at a signing show at the end of 2019. Mm-hmm. And I'm clutching on this girl and I was literally holding on for my life. I thought I was going to die. I didn't know what was going on. I, I'd feel weak and spinny and had a hard time balancing. Now I was born with a heart murmur, Dylan. And what I didn't know is one of my valves in my heart had come loose. It was oh my gosh. My, it was leaking blood into my brain. So I didn't know that. Anyway, they rushed, they took me to the hospital. I was taken in one day and they examined me and they said I needed emergency heart surgery. So I had an open heart surgery in January 2020. After that, I got an infection. I had a, got an infection in my heart and I had a stroke. So I was, I mean, I really went through the mill. Like yeah. the nurse said, she said, by all rights, you should be dead but I did survive it. One lady even thinks one of my Facebook friends who's a close friend, she said, you probably died on the operating table. I don't know. Maybe I did. But anyway, I had never taken drugs my adult life. I was like a Christian scientist. I don't believe in meds. You know, I'm a libertarian. If you want to take them, fine. You can take LSD or shoot up with heroin, whatever. But I didn't believe in any drugs, mm-hmm. nothing, not even aspirin. So after my heart surgery, I was at this hospital. It's called uh, Ruby Memorial in West Virginia. They put me on a regimen of like 20 meds including a horrible, horrible psych drug called Xanax. Yeah. This started me acting crazy. So I got out of the hospital. I started doing crazy things, you know, blah, 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 this and that. You can read, you know, listen to the TMZ report. I did horrible things, which I would never have done in real life. But, you know, not to, I take responsibility. I take responsibility in a way, but in a way I was, this stuff was forced on me. So it's a chemical imbalance. Yeah. It was a holy imbalance. I mean, that threw me out and the Xanax, Anyway, the worst thing I did was I was in a I was in a restaurant, a Chinese restaurant, I think it was a Japanese restaurant. Mm-hmm. And they asked me to leave and I refused to leave. And there were police there and they were chasing me around the restaurant. And literally, I threw plates at them like a monkey. I guess. Oh my God. And that this was and, you know, now it, it sounds funny in retrospect. And like my friend at the said, time, it's terrifying. Said, it, well, he said, though, he said, if they ever get that restaurant surveillance film, it's got to be one of the great restaurant surveillance films of all time, which is true, which is funny and true but anyway you got to realize the implications were that was second degree assault yeah which in maryland is 10 years in jail but i had a good public defender and she got me out i'm, I'm doing my uh unsupervised probation now with speedy and denise so mm-hmm. it's over it's a closed chapter in my life but it was a horrible time in life and it lasted about two years you know taking those meds i was on and luckily i'm off those horrible meds now yeah <clears throat> i'm on stuff <clears throat> excuse me i have to take stuff every day that's pretty much it in a nutshell, but I did get off it now. I'm taking a few things now, but there's vitamins and, you know, yeah. more stuff like that now, you know, yeah. with supplements, stuff like that. Get me in order. My mind is back 100%, but that was a, just a horrible two years of my life, you know. And there was this really mean girl I got involved with. She worked at a restaurant. She was a waitress, and I was asking to put on false eyelashes and all, acting like a creep, which I was. Mm-hmm. But, you know, she was, and rightfully, to be fair, she was probably scared. 
but yeah. I was on these meds and they, you know, these are horrible, horrible things for me, but for a lot of people, if they work for them, God bless them, you know, more power yeah. to them, but they're not for me. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry you went through that, but I'm glad that you got on the other side and that I you're, and that you're being so. open about it. I think it's a good yeah. thing to be open about these yeah. things. Dylan, when I, when I was in the hospital, literally, literally, I go, please, dear God, please let me die before I wake up. I wanted to die. So what I felt so bad, yeah. I mean, I was just so messed up. My body was so wrecked up. I weighed probably like 115 pounds. I had lost everything, you know, and in the hospital was, it was, it was like a concentration camp. The hospital was so bad. You know, it was like, uh, the food was like dog slop. It wasn't yeah. fit for pigs. We got that every day. Now the, the nurses there were Jamaican. They were nice enough ladies. And, uh, the guys was, um, I won't get into ethnicity, but <clears throat> I made friends with all the guys. We were all friends. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and it was just very hard it was always cold we had the air conditioning on 24 7 every day and it was cold every yeah. day so i'm glad to be out of there even though my doctor there was very nice dr alex he was he was a prince he was a really nice guy and he really helped me and the nurses were good to me they were nice to me yeah yeah good anyway, well my rights here do we yeah. do we have a quick second to do fan questions i've only got three okay please okay uh chris canary wants to know what your favorite role has been uh i would say my favorite would be it's not one favorite. I just have to say my best was, in my opinion, was Ringo Klaus and I went over here and that was the best I ever did. Yeah. I love Polar Express and Grease will always be special to me because Grease yeah. is my biggest film. And I, it's a little role, but Eugene is very special to me. And Polar Express, the know-it-all kid, was very special to yeah. me. Um, Lindsay Charles wants to know if Mandark is ever going to return. I hope so. If they ever do a reboot okay. of Dexter Saga, I'd be proud of that. Like I said, our director was a lady named Colette Sunderman. Mm -hmm. I consider her the Steven Spielberg of directors in animation. She's the best director I've ever worked with in animation. Yeah. She's a lovely, wonderful lady and a brilliant Great. comedy director. See, she understands comedy. Yeah. Um, Reverend Dan, Dan O'Connell of the band named after you, Deason. Oh, yeah. Uh, he, he wanted to know uh, what happened to the mopeds for Midnight Madness. Great question. I'm not sure. I wish I could give him an answer. I don't know. It was uh, Disney Studios, so I don't know what happened. Yeah, that's a great question. I never heard. Everybody asks me, another question I always get done, what happened to your dummy from 1941? Yeah. And the answer to that is he either got raffled off or, or auctioned off to a rich lady. I heard a rich lady either won him okay. or he was locked off for $50. Yeah. $50? Yeah. 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 Uh, he also asked about working with Paul Rubens and Laser Blast. We've talked about those. Um, I love Pee Wee. I love Paul. A dear friend. He's a wonderful friend, even though I haven't seen him in 40 years. He's a wonderful guy. I do believe, and I think he he's open. He's not a shifty guy. Right? I think he yeah. got some of the Pee Wee character from me, some of it. But the brilliance of it, I could never have done. He yeah. took it and took it home. He's, yeah. uh, you know, more power to him. Paul's a great guy. And uh, any promos? I know you're doing cameos now. Yeah, cameo videos. Please order a cameo video. I just did my first gay cameo video, in fact, today. I, I saw story. I saw your I'm, post. Yeah, I saw. I'm so proud. <laughs> this guy's had a crush on me since War Games, and he was a lovely, sweet guy, and I did my first video for him. So a guy had a crush on me on cameo, and I did a cameo video for him, and I'm How very sweet. proud of it. God bless him. Very sweet. Yeah. yeah. Uh, big shout out to Gregory Garazar and Steve Janiak for helping get this together. Um, thank you so much, Eddie. It's been I my really pleasure. Appreciate your time. Thank you so much, Eddie. My pleasure. I really appreciate your time today. This is sure, so Dylan. much fun. My Thanks pleasure. Enjoy okay, your haircut. Care, my friend. You too. Thanks, Tell Dylan. Steve hey for me. Okay. Bye-bye. Okay. See you on Facebook. Bye. Yep. There you go. That was Eddie Deason. Wow. It's just cool to talk to somebody who's seen so much in the movie business, worked with so many interesting people. Uh, just kind of a neat guy to talk to. He's obviously very enthusiastic about the things he loves. 
Uh, you can friend him on Facebook. He will accept it. Uh, he's a lot of fun on there. Uh, other than that, get out in the world. Go to Scarlet Lane Brewing. Try one of their many great beers. I suggest the Irvington Dark. It's my favorite. And while you're there, tip well. Tip well anywhere you go, because at the Walter Paisley Movie House, we do not piss on hospitality. Next up, Larry Hankin. You're going to love it. See you in a couple weeks.